Hello and welcome to the Adult Bedwetting Podcast. I'm your host, Adult and Neuretic. This is episode number four. How many of us are there? Before we jump into that, this is January 2nd. I wanted to wish everybody a happy new year. Welcome to 2023. Oh, it's hard to transition to saying that new number. I almost wanted to say 2022 again. Hopefully nobody's nursing a hangover anymore at this point. We've had a full day. Did anybody make any New Year's resolutions this year? I never do. If you did, anything particularly interesting or or particularly relevant, you can write in about it. Maybe we'll share something on the next episode. I'd love to hear what you have to say. New Year's Eve is one of those big party days, usually a lot of alcohol involved. Alcohol is one of those things that's a no-no for us, isn't it? Alcohol is a diuretic. It's one of those things you have to decide if you're going to avoid it, or if you're just going to live your life and deal with the consequences. How do you handle that? Personally, I tend to just go with the flow, unintended. This episode's going to contain quite a few references to medical literature, in the future, and in this episode when I do this, I'm going to try and have the show notes reflect those journal articles and have links to the abstracts if I can't find full text articles and full text where it is available. I no longer have institutional access, so I'm going to give you access to exactly what I can find, which is going to be what's publicly available. And today's question is, how many of us are there? According to one study by Dr. Patel and her colleagues, entitled, Updated Prevalence of Urinary Incontinence in Women, up to 61.8% of women experience some level of urinary incontinence, 32.4% of them at least monthly, and 28 million plus women experience moderate to severe urinary incontinence in the U.S. These are higher numbers than are reported in previous studies. This is the point of this study, is that it was an update to the numbers of previous studies. Those numbers are pretty staggering, to say the least. The numbers from men are much harder to pin down. The current evidence suggests that men are about half as likely as women to be urinary incontinent. According to Buckley and Lapitan, about 11 to 34 percent of older men are urinary incontinent, 2 to 11 percent daily. Some of that's accounted for by differences in anatomy, some of it by the lack of menopause, and some of it by the lack of childbirth. Childbirth injuries are a cause of urinary incontinence in women in a large percentage of cases. Some estimates would put the total number of people in the United States with some level of incontinence over 100 million. It's no wonder that incontinence products get shelf space in nearly every supermarket, every pharmacy, and many other small chain stores across the nation. The trend is similar all over the world. If we look at bedwetting, we see some interesting trends as well. By contrast, bedwetting is about twice as common in men as it is in women. There was a review study by Pijman and Massoud called Enuresis Persisting into Adulthood, 
collated some interesting numbers and information. Across a variety of studies they reviewed, they reported an incidence of bedwetting from 0.19% to 3.8%. That's a pretty broad range of values. Put those numbers into perspective. 0.19% is 1 in 526. Whereas 3.8% is 1 in 26. The authors of the review did try to account for some of these differences. They attributed some of it to bias in the reporting. For example, some of the early studies were done on recruits for the military. These recruits were all male because some of those studies were done so early. They also had a very narrow age range. As a result, they concluded that those studies may not have been of much value. They also noted that there was a great deal of difference in the inclusion criteria for what counted as somebody who was a bedwetter. There doesn't seem to be any clear definition that's used across different studies. In one study, they might say that you're included if you've experienced bedwetting one time in the last month. Another one might include you if you've experienced it in the last six months. Another study might say if you've experienced it 12 times in the, or six times in the last 12 months. Everybody uses their own definition. This can lead to drastically different results in the final numbers. So, I decided to try and take a look at some of the papers that were reviewed with a little bit more depth. I wanted to first take a look at the paper with the lowest value and the paper with the highest value to see what they had to offer. Unfortunately, the paper with the lowest value, 0.19%, was in German. While I do speak some German, my German is not good enough to try and read anything out of a medical journal. It was also one of those older papers, 1945 I believe. It was written about military recruits, so it was probably one of those ones of lower quality. So I just wrote that off for the time being. The second paper I decided to jump into with a little bit more depth was written by Cushing and Baller. It was titled The Problem of Nocturnal Enuresis in Adults, Special Reference to Manager and Managerial Aspirants. This was the one that had the highest values of any paper that was included in the review. This paper focused on business school students. It was graduate level business school students and upper level undergraduate business school students. This is where the managers and managerial aspirants came in. These students were students who either were already in the working field, they were gainfully employed and either in managerial positions or were upper level undergraduates who were not yet employed but were in line to take on these sorts of positions in the future. This did not have a huge sample size, but they did have several hundred people in each of the samples for both the graduate level students and the undergraduate level students. The interesting thing here was that in this study, they had 3.8% of the graduate level students were classified as having internal enuresis, and so were 3.6% of the undergraduates. This is a much higher ratio than we see in most other studies. Unfortunately, I was not able to find a full text version of this article. I was not able to determine what the inclusion criteria were for subjects as bedwetters. As an interesting aside, this study also noted that 
a fairly high proportion of the subjects reported that they had also been bedwetters growing up, or that they had recently overcome bedwetting as adults. The authors concluded that adult bedwetting is probably significantly underreported in the literature. The next study that I wanted to delve into was one by a whole host of authors. The lead author was C.K. Young. This is the Hong Kong study that I believe gave rise to the infamous 2% that we see in so many places. If you're not familiar, 2% seems to be a recurring value for the percentage of people in the population that are adult bedwetters. This study interviewed over 8,500 people, so we had a very strong sample size compared to some of these other studies, which were much smaller. The subjects were 16 to 40 years old, so they were, generally speaking, adult. It was upper adolescent to middle age, so we're not looking at people who are elderly either, which is something that we see in some of the studies where we're going up to a fairly advanced age. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but this is isolating a group that we wouldn't necessarily expect to have incontinence issues due to age. This study found that 2.3% of adults in their age bracket have primary nocturnal enuresis. It was 2.7% of males and 2% of females. They then looked and eliminated those who also had daytime incontinence and found that 1.9% of adults, 2.2% of males, and 1.7% of females had monosymptomatic primary nocturnal enuresis, meaning primary nocturnal enuresis with no other symptoms. That's pretty close to 2%, and this study seems to be the one I see referenced most often when I see somebody writing in an article that 2% of adults have enuresis. Within that group of 1.9%, 53% of respondents said that they were wet greater than three nights a week, and 26% said that they were wet every night. They further polled people on what effect enuresis had on their life. 32-40% to 40 of respondents felt that there was a significant effect on their choice of job, work performance, and social activities. 23% felt that the condition affected their family life and making friends of either sex. Interestingly, however, there was no significant difference in their marital status. So although they felt that it significantly affected their ability to make friends of either sex, apparently they were still able to successfully date and marry. Of the studies that I could find, the lowest value came from a Scandinavian study from Hirasin et al. It was titled Enuresis Nocturna in Adults. In this study, only 0.5% of adults were found to have nocturnal enuresis. That number was stable across ages and across sex. In this study, the inclusion criteria was to have wet the bed at least once in the last four weeks. Of those classified as bedwetters for the purposes of this study, 50% of the men and 19% of the women were classified as primary nocturnal enuretics. The rest were attributed to either secondary nocturnal enuresis or another cause.
It's interesting to compare U.S. samples, Asian samples, and Scandinavian samples and see such disparate rates of bedwetting amongst them. Bedwetting is known to have a strong genetic component. One review showed that if both parents were bedwetters, a child has a 77% chance of being a bedwetter themselves. If one parent was a bedwetter, they have a 43% chance of being a bedwetter, and only a 15% chance of being a bedwetter if no parents were bedwetters. Another study showed that adolescents that were bedwetters had an 80% chance of having a positive family history of having nocturnal enuresis in their family. It has been proposed that bedwetting is an autosomal dominant inheritance type trait. To understand what that means, you have to understand a little bit about the way genes work and the way that chromosomes work. Humans have 46 chromosomes that can be thought of as being arranged into 23 pairs. One of those pairs are the sex chromosomes. The other 22 pairs are numbered. Those are the autosomal chromosomes. In each of these pairings, you inherit one chromosome from your mother and one chromosome from your father. Each of these chromosomes contains a library of genes that code for a vast number of traits. The genes that appear at the same location on a pair of chromosomes decide how a particular trait is expressed. That is to say, how it appears in an actual person. The simplest inheritance pattern genes can be either dominant or recessive. Dominant genes require only one copy on one of the chromosomes to be expressed. An easy example in human is, is a widow's peak. A widow's peak is a dominant trait. If you carry the gene for widow's trait on either of your chromosomes or both, you will have a widow's peak. If you do not carry the gene on either chromosome, you will have a straight hairline. Bedwetting is an autosomal dominant type trait. It appears to follow that same inheritance pattern. You only need one copy of the bedwetting trait to be a bedwetter. You can also have two copies of the trait, one from each parent, and you will also express the trait. Only people with no copies on either chromosome will not be bedwetters. When we take this information about genetics and compare it with the information about the differences between incidence rates in different parts of the world, it makes me wonder whether or not there could be a corollary between ethnicity in genetics and primary nocturnal enuresis. So that brings us back around to our big question. How many people do you know? If we're asking how many people do you know with incontinence, the answer is probably many. As we saw earlier, incontinence is incredibly common. People don't talk about it often. It's not a favorite topic of discussion for most people. Sometimes you can take an educated guess. I know several men who have had prostate surgeries for one reason or another. I never brought up incontinence, but those often go hand in hand, at least temporarily. Numerically, there have to be more than that. If you recall from earlier in the show, some 60% of people were affected by incontinence. So if we take that value as an example, we must know hundreds of people were affected at some level. We can look similarly at the bedwetting numbers. Let's take our 2% value for an example. A while back I searched the web for another value that lined up with 2%. Now this obviously varies with ethnicity as well. 
2% is approximately the percentage of people worldwide that have green eyes. Have you ever met anybody with green eyes? If you've met people with green eyes, then that's approximately the same percentage chance that you have of meeting somebody else who's a bedwetter. At least if we're to press that 2% value. Let's take it one step further, try and figure out range of values. According to a New York Times article, a professor out of Columbia University did a clever study to figure out how many people the average American knows. The number they came up with was 600, give or take. Now let's say we use that range from earlier. 0.19% to 3.8%. The 600 people that you know, that means that you know somewhere between 1 and 23 other bedwetters. If we use the 2% as our sort of average number, that gives you a number of 12. That values probably a lot more people than you actually know for sure, isn't it? I don't have 12 people in my life that I can confirm are adult bedwetters, much less 23. At this point, I'd like to share some stories from the subreddit. First, I'd like to share a story that was the inspiration for this topic. This first post comes from GWD4XC6QBA. For brevity, in the future, I'll probably just refer to him as GWD. For the past almost two weeks, we have been hosting my cousin. She lives out of town, and we haven't been in contact much otherwise for years. She had to relocate to be able to go to work after the public transit had been shut down. She's been working 12 on, 24 off shifts ever since she moved in with us. Two days ago, she came from work in the evening. All she said to us was, I'm so tired, I hope I don't wake up wet in the morning. And she went straight to her room. Both my wife and I were really quite shocked to hear that, but none of us really had a chance to say anything in response. And we didn't talk about it any further after that. Later that night, I could long not fall asleep, I heard the cousin's phone alarm go off in the middle of the night and then her get up to use the bathroom. I actually intended to come straight here and ask about what to do about it, but I couldn't make myself write anything sensible, let alone in English. I'm actually glad I didn't, as we, all three, by my wife's incentive, had an honest talk during breakfast this morning, where my cousin admitted that indeed it happens to her that she occasionally wets the bed when she's too tired or ill. She was very relaxed about it, and actually my wife made me out as well. As I wrote when I first came here, I was until now absolutely sure that no one else in my family wets the bed as an adult, and certainly not my big cousin. It turned out she was not aware of my secret either. This was the first time I was able to freely talk face to face about it to anyone besides my wife, and even to somebody that affected by bedwetting themselves. Strangely, it was actually quite easy and felt very, very comforting. I find GWD's story interesting not just because there was somebody close to him that was a bedwetter that he didn't know about, but also because there was the whole genetic aspect that we were speaking about earlier. There are probably a lot of secret family tie-ins that we don't all necessarily know about. Personally, I've known a few people over the years. In college, I knew a few guys who wet the bed when they drank. One guy in particular did it frequently enough that he was well known for it. 
I suspect it probably wasn't only when he drank that he wet the bed. He didn't seem to need to be blackout drunk for it to happen. He actually admitted to us at one point that he wet the bed when his girlfriend was in the bed with him. He didn't remember when it happened. He just woke up. We were on an athletic team together. He once did it on an away trip. We used to have to bunk four people to a room to save money on away trips. I was in his room, but not sharing a bed with him. He was sharing a bed with another teammate, and he wet their bed. I also know that my brother-in-law has wet the bed on occasion. My sister told me this when she found out from my mother, which is a whole other story, that I was having issues again. On the genetic side of things, I had a great uncle who used to wet the bed, I believe beyond the typical early childhood time frame. I know this because my other great uncle used to share a bed with him when they were kids. He liked to tell the story of how his brother Butch used to pee the bed every other night and that he would feel it creeping over and have to roll out of the way. I also have nephews that used to wet the bed, but as far as I know, they stopped at some point. The weekly topic thread, the corresponding title to this episode, a couple more anecdotes that I wanted to share. The first is this. We don't talk about medical issues as a family much. My brother-in-law has wet, but he's diabetic and has other health problems. I only know this because I found out by accident. There's bedwetting on both mom and dad's side, though. Again, we don't really communicate about that particular thing very much because we're just not that type of a family. In college, I was in a fraternity. I do know a few guys wet when they were really drunk. I don't know exactly how often. That time, I wet mostly just when I drank. If I drank so frequently, I don't really know if I would have without it. After college, I kept hanging out with drinkers. My best friend for a while, also a drinking buddy, in my 20s, wet his bed a lot. I dated someone who wet the bed when drunk. It was almost every night for about a year. That was another person. He had bedwetting problems growing up until a later age, not as late as mine, into his teens. At least it was good not having to worry about bedwetting in that relationship. Other than those few, I don't know anyone except here. My family doesn't really talk about medical issues. This is another one where there's a family history going on. So there's that genetic component rearing its head again. There's a lot of drinking in that particular story as well, but there's a lot of wetting that went with it, and it does not seem to me that everybody who drinks wets the bed. It could be that people who have a history of bedwetting also have a propensity for that to come back up when they drink, but they just have a lower threshold for that. And one final story to share. My best friend from the last year of elementary school had some mild cerebral palsy. He just had some one-sided paralysis. With a shoe lift, he could walk and run for the most part. He was also completely urinary incontinent. By that point, I had never slept a night without a diaper either, and wouldn't until midway through my senior year of high school. We hit it off right away. My issues were something that wasn't talked about at my home, and was to be kept behind closed doors. At his house, it was no big deal and completely out in the open. 
There were a lot of sleepovers, followed by sitting in our diapers and t-shirt watching Saturday morning cartoons, something that would never have happened at my house. Unfortunately, we moved away in my sophomore year, and this happened so many times, we kind of drifted out of contact for 30 years. Then one day on Facebook. My mother was a bedwetter until high school, and I have no idea about my biological father. However, two of my half-sisters, same father, different mothers, have or had issues. One wet through high school, the other had severe overactive bladder all her life, and is now incontinent. So here we have two things. One was a story of knowing somebody, again, in this case, somebody incontinent. And two, we have, again, a story about strong family history. That family history keeps coming up again and again and again. Seems to be a major player. If you want to read the post mentioned or any of the literature referenced in today's episode, check out the show notes. If you want to get in contact with me, look me up on the moderator tab at Adult Bedwetting subreddit, or email me at adultenuretic at gmail.com. This is Adult Enuretic signing off, saying have a good night and a dry morning. Thank you.